and welcome to this episode of our podcast. Um, I'm Laura Rosenblum, really excited to be joined here by Mike Bada. Mike is a co-founder at Sesame, which is a marketplace for healthcare services. We are super excited to have him join us on this episode. Thanks so much for being here, Mike. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me, Laura. So you have a ton of diverse experience in the healthcare space. You've held roles at McKinsey, you have a PhD from Harvard, you've worked at the White House. Can you give us a brief summary of your career path to date? Sure. So I definitely knew I wanted to be involved in healthcare going back to college, really. I thought, you know, like a lot of people that I'd want to be a physician. And the more I dove into uh, what it was like to practice medicine today, the more I realized there were so many issues with the American healthcare system that would be really interesting to play a role in improving. So after college, I started out in at a healthcare-specific consulting firm, which is now uh, called IQVIA. It was part of IMS Health, and they merged with Quintiles. So that company is now IQVIA, and they're still around and doing great. Uh, all the work that I did there really pointed to the fact that incentives and really strange incentives are what drive so much of what's strange in healthcare. So for me, that meant working on a PhD, particularly one with a heavy focus in economics. So uh, Harvard has a health policy PhD program that's sort of joint between the medical school, the economics department, and several other schools at Harvard. I got my PhD there with a focus on uh, a combination of economics, uh, politics, policy analysis, all things that matter a ton in healthcare. Uh, from there, I went to McKinsey, uh, where I was a generalist, but really focused on the healthcare practice over time. I working with a range of public sector clients, private sector clients, nonprofits, or if you name it, everybody in the healthcare space. I, along the way, so when I was still working my PhD, spent some time in the Obama White House working on, uh, with them as a liaison between the administration and the House and Senate as the ACA was coming together. I uh, spent some time at Brookings working in healthcare. Uh, but after a little over five years at McKinsey, saw so many of the changes that were happening both as a result of the ACA and as a result of a bunch of other trends in healthcare. Uh, and with David Goldhill, left McKinsey to start Sesame, which is where we are now. Awesome. Uh, will you tell everyone a little bit more of the problems that you were setting out to solve at Sesame? What were some of the issues and trends that you and David were looking at, identifying, um, and, and how are you setting out to solve them? Sure. So Sesame is a direct care health services marketplace. Think about uh, Airbnb for a doctor selling some of their capacity towards the direct pay healthcare market. I uh, think maybe Hotel Tonight for, in some cases, uh, appointments that are available to somebody's schedule to fill sort of like how that works for the travel industry. Uh, just to give that context, the problem we were looking to solve is the fact that uh, sort of under the surface, a lot of things have changed in healthcare over the last decade. Uh, both for people who are insured and people who are uninsured. So if you're insured, 10 years ago, you probably had some type of health insurance deductible, so the amount of money you have to pay out of pocket before your insurance kicks in. But that number was probably you know $100, maybe up to $500 per year. Uh, that has changed a lot over the last decade. Now we see individual plans with $3,000, $4,000, $5,000 deductibles, family plans anywhere from $8,000 up to, in some cases, $15,000 deductibles. So there are increasing number of people who are insured, but they're spending a lot of money every month on premiums, and they're gonna to have to spend a lot of money out of pocket in their deductibles before their insurance kicks in. Uh, so effectively, the vast majority of those people 
uh, don't hit their deductible, something like 80% of people don't hit their deductibles if they have a high deductible plan. And in a given year, then, almost all of their healthcare spending comes out of pocket. Uh, there's something similar happening among people who are uninsured. If you look at the numbers now, the uninsured rate after the Affordable Care Act went down to about 8% of the population. That number, though, has started creeping back up. Uh, latest estimates have it somewhere between 10 and 12%. And there are some changes there. So it used to be that the poorest Americans were uninsured. But in many states now, the poorest Americans have access to expanded Medicaid. So the mix of uninsured Americans has changed. You have a lot more people who are uh, employed in some form. They might be freelancers, they might be working part-time, or they might have full-time jobs to offer insurance. And there are options available to them through things like the Obamacare exchanges, but they've decided they aren't affordable options and that they'd rather pay out of pocket for the health care they use. So these are people who are in the workforce, they have income, uh, they're spending money on health care, but it's coming out of pocket and they don't really have a good way to do that. So for both of those groups, folks who are uninsured and folks who are insured with high deductibles, we saw an opportunity to build something that really didn't exist in healthcare the way it did in many other industries, which was a marketplace for services. And it's not for everyone or for everything. I think oftentimes uh, when we're talking about Sesame, whether it's to an investor or to uh, folks we work with, we have to explain, most of us are fortunate in that we've probably had pretty good, generous insurance for most of our lives. But not everybody is so lucky. There are lots of folks whose insurance, like I mentioned, has a uh, pretty stressfully high deductible. And so for many folks, the idea of paying upfront, prepaying for health services to save money uh, in the short term is a money-saving opportunity, where if they can prepay for, let's say, a physician office visit or an MRI or a CT scan or a, a lab test, what have you, uh, and save money for that by paying upfront, that's a good deal because they're very unlikely to hit their deductible in a given year, and that's money that they keep in their pocket and can spend on a ton of other things in their lives. So that was the market problem we were looking to solve uh, and can borrow from a lot of other industries and what they've done to do it. Definitely. I think that makes a lot of sense and interesting to hear how you've identified this new segment or, or evolving segment of the direct care market. Um, given that it is a segment of customers that has changed a lot over the past few years with the Affordable Care Act um, and is, given the structure of deductibles, it's definitely, it's evolving and emerging. Um, how do you connect with your customers who are, this is a, an area that um, hasn't, hasn't been, there hasn't been a ton of attention on this customer type yet? Yeah, it, it's an interesting challenge for us because we're trying to uh, educate a consumer about something new that maybe most people don't think about as an option. If you talk to most folks around how do you find a doctor, how do you know uh, who's a good doctor in your neighborhood, most people point to talking to friends or talking to family or getting a referral from another physician. And there's tons of data and research on this that points to the fact that that's not super effective, but that is the way people do things today. So... As we've started out and sort of as we continue to grow, uh, it's a unique challenge to explain to people both the fact that you can save money by paying directly for healthcare services in many cases, the fact that we exist and are a place you'd want to take a look at for those healthcare services, and an understanding of, of when it makes sense and when it might not make sense for you. So part of what we set out to do over the last year, year and a half, is do both you know, some meaningful market research, but also just to test things, to apply them and test them in our marketing. So we use a combination of online and offline channels, essentially everything you can imagine, 
uh, whether it's uh, paid search, SEO, whether it's email marketing, whether it's uh, out-of-home advertising like billboards or mailers. We've, in the markets where we've gotten started, tested lots of different messages and lots of different approaches to understand how to reach our customer segment and what messages resonate and help educate a consumer. Makes a lot of sense. Um, you mentioned the markets that you're entering, and I think it's a, a key point to discuss in this conversation. So you're a Brooklyn-based or New York City-based company operating out of cities like Kansas City, uh, Wichita, and Oklahoma City. Um, can you talk more about this market entry strategy and some of the thought that went into it? Sure. Uh, part of what we were thinking about was, I mentioned, it's actually a really great follow-up from the last question. Part of what we had to do is really think about how do you reach our target customer segment? And it's fair to say we had a lot of learning to do on that as we got started. Uh, so our thinking was to launch in cities in the Midwest where A, there are large numbers of folks who are both uninsured and have high deductible health insurance plans, and B, where the costs of customer acquisition are lower than they are in New York or LA. So those are markets where we can you know, cost-effectively test a lot of different media messages across a lot of different uh, media channels and learn, develop, and iterate. So that was the thinking behind it. Makes a lot of sense. Where do you see the direct care market going and evolving, given especially your starting point in um, some cities across the country? And how might this change given uh, a change in the political climate, which we don't have to get too political here, but it's obviously something that I'm sure you're keeping in mind. Sure. So in many cases, when people think about the direct consumer healthcare market, they're thinking about you know, luxury goods or, or lifestyle treatments. There have been a lot of companies that have been successful in focusing on things like hair loss or ED or acne or birth control. Uh, you see growth there in other industries like uh, testosterone therapy, some other things. Those are largely, uh, in many cases, they're lifestyle conditions. There haven't, and those are largely focused on folks who are younger, sort of maybe they're getting started in the workforce or they have you know, strong income. And they're thinking about this from a convenience perspective, that it's typically easier to do this online, not have to go see a doctor. Uh, we are focused more on a, a value customer. So we certainly think that there's more uh, growth over time in a full service, full scope offering in healthcare that's focusing on a value customer. And that increasingly as healthcare and health insurance becomes more and more unaffordable, you're going to see more folks looking for uh, ways to save money. And the idea that that's even possible in healthcare hasn't really been understood for a long time. So I think increasingly people are both going to understand that as they are doing some comparison shopping between should I pay out of pocket for a telemedicine visit or an in-person visit? Should I uh, pay for you know, something where I'm going to talk through an app on my phone to get a prescription for something or do I want to show up in person at urgent care? Those are all trade-offs people are just starting to understand. And so having a way to actually more systematically compare those things is going to be really important. The other piece here I think will be important is just the fact that, like I mentioned right now, this has been largely around lifestyle conditions where convenience is a big factor. I think that we're going to see this grow more and more uh, in direct pay for things like imaging, for things like labs, uh, and in some cases for things like procedures, where if your deductible is $15,000, and you find out that you need to have uh, your meniscus repaired in your knee, uh, you might be able to do that for five or $6,000 out of pocket as opposed to ten or $15,000 under your deductible. And so paying directly might actually save you money compared to using your insurance. 
Makes a lot of sense. Um, one thing that we chatted about uh, previously was how you think about quality and utilization of the services provided. So I'd love um, if you could chat to that really quickly um, to just give an overview of how, with so much expanding access at a reasonable cost for this new customer base, how do you think about managing both quality and utilization? Yeah. I think it's a really important question for us as we grow. Uh, I mentioned a couple of things. So one thing that comes to mind here is the fact that it's unfortunate, but we don't do a very good job in the healthcare system as a whole of measuring quality. It's a challenge for all of healthcare. And as somebody who came from an academic healthcare background, there's tons of research out there that points out uh, that there isn't a great correlation between, let's say, cost and quality in healthcare. There isn't a great correlation between recommendations you get from friends and family and uh, healthcare outcomes. So the healthcare system as a whole has a real problem with measuring quality. And when you do have an absence of really useful metrics, people tend to defer to cost and assume that if something's more expensive, it's probably better. That is generally not true in healthcare. Uh, what we are excited to be able to do in Sesame is a few different things. So one is to use some of the best measures we have of quality that are out there, one of which is volume. So just understanding how frequently a provider performs a certain procedure or sees patients for a certain condition is actually a pretty darn good predictor of what kind of outcomes their patients will get. So being able to measure that and surface those things is important to us. Second is we're working with some physician leaders in the space who've got some things that we'll be announcing pretty soon that we're excited about around being able to measure PRO, so patient reported outcomes on a range of conditions and a range of services that are received on Sesame. Working with them to develop both the questions we'll be asking and then collecting that information so that we can surface for patients at the right time as they're making a decision what their fellow patients are saying about any given practice. Uh, it's something that is really important to us. I, Lorna, you and I were talking before we started recording, but David, our CEO, is also chairman of the board at LeapFrog Group, which is a, uh, I believe, America's biggest hospital quality rating organization. Uh, so I know it's something that he gives a lot of thought to and is critical for both him and I as we build the company. We want to make it a place where people can actually get useful information about the quality of care they can expect to receive. And then you mentioned a little bit around utilization. Uh, it's interesting in healthcare, there's this concept called moral hazard, which is the idea that, uh, and it's not like an actual value judgment, when the word moral morality is in there, it sort of gets confusing, but moral hazard is the idea that when you're not paying for the entirety of what you're using, you end up using more of it. And that's been a common refrain about healthcare, which is that depending on how your insurance is structured, people think that people end up overusing services or using more of something because they're not facing the full cost of it. So I would actually expect that people would make more judicious decisions when it's their own money, when they're paying up front for a healthcare service. Uh, even if they're going to get reimbursed after the fact, people tend to uh, be more thoughtful consumers when they're spending their own money up front. So I don't tend to think of it around as an overutilization problem from that perspective. The other thing is for a range of services, there are still referral requirements like MRIs. Uh, not like there are a lot of people who are just going nuts and getting an MRI every week to begin with, but MRIs do still require a physician prescription. So there is some sense of getting a qualified opinion before you go out and pay for something yourself. Awesome. Thanks for expanding on that. Um, so switching gears a little bit, um, I'd love to chat through your role as a founder and entrepreneur. Um, this is your first company that you founded. Um, would love to hear from you how you thought about becoming an entrepreneur, what motivated you. Um, yeah, we'll start there. Sure. 
Uh, it's certainly really different than working at McKinsey or working at a, you know another consulting firm or having an industry job because fundamentally you're you know to use a term you're taking something from zero to one like something where nothing existed and actually building something. It's been really inspiring to watch us grow from a team of three as we started as a group of three, you know, to four or five, six, and now we have about a little over forty people between New York where we are right now and Berlin where we have another group of colleagues in an office there. Uh, along the way, sort of explaining to people what it's like to be a founder is you, you really wear every hat at the company. I've been a salesperson, I've been an operations lead, I've been a product manager, been a designer, like everything from wireframing to building out the deck that you're going to take to a health system or to a group of physicians to explain what you're doing in the first place. Then obviously there are all the really stressful, keep you up at night parts around making sure that your infrastructure actually works and you're not going to crash on your launch day. Uh, the first time you go sit with a group of VCs, whether it's in San Francisco or in New York, uh, those are all the types of things that I will remember forever as we keep growing the company, but also, uh, I don't know if they ever really get easier, <laughs> especially when, like you said, when you're doing this for the first time, you're going in cold. You can always, you can read about things, you can listen to podcasts, you can talk to trusted mentors, but there's something really unique about doing it yourself for the first time which I'm, I'm thrilled to be doing this. I tell my wife all the time that it's really hard and it's a lot more work than even McKinsey life was. And obviously McKinsey life is a ton of work, but there's nothing I would rather be doing. We're having a blast. I'm thrilled to be doing this every day and I'm excited to keep on doing it. That's great. What I've heard from a lot of founders is that, you know, the problems are difficult when you're small and then you think that they'll go away as you grow, but they just become bigger and hairier and more complex. So it's awesome though to hear that this has been a really rewarding uh, experience for you. Um, I'm sure a handful of people who are listening in the audience are interested in potential roles at Sesame. Um, could you chat more about what it's like to work in the environment that you've created and what type of team you're building out? Sure. Um, it was actually really interesting for us to sit down and think about uh, company values. I can talk a little bit about that too. Uh, but I mentioned we're a little over 40 people now and continuing to grow. Uh, in some cases, we're a, you know, a traditional tech company. In some cases, we're a marketplace, which doesn't necessarily have to be a very high-tech endeavor. But the company is comprised of a pretty large engineering team, which is the biggest sort of single segment of the company. Uh, that's obviously led and supported by Product, design, UX, all really fundamental to what we're doing because I think a lot of healthcare design, a lot of healthcare tech, it's pretty clunky. There aren't too many great uh, mentor companies or models to focus on healthcare to say those guys do a great job. So there's a lot of rethinking, uh, especially if you work here at Sesame, like what it means to present healthcare information and healthcare options to a customer in a way that's actually useful and intelligible. And a lot of that means taking inspiration from companies that are outside of healthcare, whether it's travel like Airbnb, which I mentioned, or Hotel Tonight, um, whether it's other e-commerce platforms, whether it's you know, reservation platforms like Resi or others. There's a lot of uh, thinking through and taking inspiration from other platforms. But I think working here is both uh, building something by remixing some of the best marketplace and e-commerce tools that are out there in the world to refine them into healthcare. It's being excited about a mission to do something really meaningful. I feel like every day we come to work and we're excited because we hear from customers who call in or write to us and say, I was really concerned about something. I didn't think I could afford a mammogram or an MRI, but because I found Sesame, I found a provider that had some availability today or tomorrow, 
and they were looking to fill in, and I could pay them a cash price up front and save a ton of money compared to what it would have cost to go to the university hospital or go to the emergency room. And because of that, I have peace of mind. Like I actually know what's going on. Uh, and that is incredibly gratifying. And it's the kind of thing that happens really often here and reminds us, even on days when things are harder, it's a grind or everybody you know, is working really hard to get something shipped, something new released. Uh, it's really easy to understand why we're doing it every day. That's fantastic. Um, if I think about what it's like to work here, we've tried to be really thoughtful about what the values of the company are. Um, I think a lot of healthcare companies talk about putting patients first. And for us, that's our first value. Uh, and it's critical to what we're doing because for any patient population, things have changed over time. People are more comfortable using the internet for lots of things like their banking and their investments. But healthcare is really personal. People take their health information really seriously. So both earning and maintaining the trust of our patients and making sure that as we make decisions that we're being thoughtful about preserving their confidences are the most important thing we can do. Which for us means things like uh, there are lots of companies out there that make their money by aggregating and selling healthcare data. We are definitely not one of them. And everyone who works here understands that and knows that a big part of working here is doing things that preserve patient data and patient confidences and preserve those four patients to be the, the owners and owners out, not us. Um, we're also a place that thinks really strongly about, I mentioned, thinking about taking the best ideas from the world, of not just healthcare, but outside of it, and a place where we really encourage people to speak up. So if there's something that you disagree with or you're not sure about, to call it out and to have an open conversation with a group about it. I think we're a bunch of people who are really excited to be here and uh, excited to work together. And so there's never really uh, animosity if somebody points to saying, like, hey, I don't know that that's the right idea for something, because uh, it's a common value of the company and something we all know to do together. But there's also a sense that uh, we're here to, to, there's an obligation to dissent, but once we've moved on and made a decision on something, that we disagree and we commit, we move forward. Because it's fundamentally, it's a startup, we gotta move really fast and, and build. But as long as we're preserving those values and excited about the mission that we're undertaking, I think people really enjoy it and are happy to be here. That's awesome. Um, and it's great to hear. I think it's, it's important, especially as a young company, to be really intentional about the values that you're creating because as your team continues to grow, it's, they can live and, and support those values over time. Um, speaking of growth, you just raised money from some pretty impressive investors, including General Catalyst. Um, can you talk briefly about this process and how it will support um, some of your growth plans in the future? Sure. Uh, so, Laura, you mentioned we're operating out of markets in the Midwest. I mean, part of our plan is to both learn from the markets we've been in so far around uh, what are the elements of the product that are working really well, what are the elements of the product where we can uh, refine, make improvements, uh, do more to serve both the patients who are using us and the physicians who are listing services on the platform. So a lot of our raise is focused on those things. So building out a really great, easy to use, effective product for our customers. And a lot of it is about setting ourselves up for success to expand to more markets, which is a big focus for 2020. So sort of those parallel efforts are both what we're hiring for and strategically what we're building towards to get ready for next year. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Mike. Um, in the last couple of minutes, any final thoughts that you'd like to share about Sesame or the team or the floor is yours for this final question? Sure. Um, a couple things. If you're 
interested in starting a company, I would definitely encourage people to do it. Uh, it's an incredibly rewarding experience. You can choose the problem that you solve and do something really meaningful. So total endorsement there. There's plenty of room in the healthcare space. Like, come on in. There's a lot of lot to do, tons of interesting problems to solve. Uh, healthcare is hard and messy and confusing and challenging, but incredibly rewarding to do something meaningful. Uh, and if you're interested in healthcare and direct pay and serving a patient population that often doesn't get a lot of attention in healthcare, come talk to us at Sesame. We're at sesamecare.com. Reach out. We'd love to talk to you.